You're listening to a podcast from 702. Virus. Only on 702. Eusebius Makaisa on 702. For the curious. Live. Online. Smartphones. DSTV. And 92.7. And 106 FM. It's eight minutes after 11 o'clock. It is a Monday, which means it's time for technology and society. 702. Technology and Society with Aki Anastasio. Hello, Aki. Good morning to you, Mr. McKaiser. How are you doing this morning? I'm extremely well. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I have been listening to your show since you started. You've had some fascinating discussions uh, with uh, Judge Regan, um, and really she raised some very, very interesting points. Uh, how are you, and how was your weekend, and how's that? Have you got a new puppy in your home? <laughs> I do. I do. We, <laughs> You know, when everyone was uh, rushing to panic buy, my boyfriend decided to go and panic buy a new puppy, and I'm just looking at a picture of it, and um, I'm telling you, to- speaking about food, food inflation, uh, these animals, if you look after them, they are very, very costly. So loving it, but also it's a bit of a menace because it's quite young. It wants to chow everything around the house, <laughs> and it has all sorts oh, of sand and privileges like sleeping in the bedroom. We have truly Ooh, become what? like Aki. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow so tell me what kind of dog is it it's a uh, steffi i think oh oh okay yeah yeah my, i can't answer these questions i'm yeah. as bad with dogs as i am with cars i'm not that kind of bloke so my partner knows far more he goes shopping for this thing uh, it even has its own toys and all sorts of other things but it is growing on me Okay, well, yeah. I'm sure it is, and uh, yeah, and and good luck because my daughter's got one as well, and they're very lively, and they, they demand are. your attention all the time. Absolutely. Now, listen, you had sent me about a week ago a really interesting eight-minute clip uh, about the measures taken in parts of China, and you obviously, as you listen to me and Judge O'Regan, you knew exactly what I was alluding to in terms of big data and how they keep tabs on on citizens and. It is illiberal philosophically, but it has been very useful in terms of flattening the curve in parts of China. What are some of your reflections as you were listening there to that conversation I had with uh, with the judge and what we need to do here in South Africa? Yeah, it was a very interesting conversation. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a fine balance, you know, um, as you'll hear from the audio in just a moment that I'm going to play you. But... Um, you, you know, already we have this year. I mean, the networks are being used to track us to help fight this uh, disease that we're all fighting at the moment, Eusebius. But um, I think that the world is going to be a very difficult, a very different place to what it is now and what it was before COVID-19. You know, we already were struggling with our privacy and um, yeah. how much people know about us. But I think after this, it's going to be very, very different. And you raise China as an example. And uh, China um, have done something extraordinary. I mean, we know that they're a totalitarian state. We know that they've got cameras all over the place. As many other countries like the UK, for example, you know, you see how many cameras are coming up in here in South Africa. But in China, it's on a whole new level. They know exactly where every citizen is. They know where you paid for something, 
who you passed by as you paid for it. They know where you've traveled to, how far you've traveled to. And so they know everything and your, all of your movements. So it was a lot easier for them to track and contain this particular virus in a city like Wuhan, which has a population of 11 million. So it was pretty impressive. And, you know, it's nothing new, this totalitarian state. I mean, you look at the KGB and you look at the Russians and how they spied on people. But today we've got technology. We've got, we're all connected it somehow mm. and it makes it a lot easier for governments to know exactly where all our movements are and where we're going now the piece that you're referring to this week has been written in the financial times by yuval noah hariri who spoke recently about the world after coronavirus where we are at the moment and he kind of wraps it up pretty well if you listen to this about where we are and where we might be after this virus mm. The immediate issue is the issue of trust, whether people trust their governments and whether people trust what they hear in the media. Uh, because to have effective quarantine, you need the cooperation of the, of the population. And that's a very problematic issue because this kind of trust has been eroded over the last few years. The other big issue, more long-term, um, is about surveillance. One of the dangers in the current epidemic is that it will justify extreme measures of surveillance, especially biometric surveillance, which will be, uh, again, justified as a means to deal with this emergency. But even after the emergency will be over, it will remain. We are talking about a system of monitoring an entire population all the time for biometric signals, allegedly in order to protect people from future epidemics, but this can also form the basis of an extreme totalitarian regime. Uh, we are facing a huge issue of surveillance and privacy in, in our age, and I think that we'll see a big battle between privacy and health, and health is likely to win. That people will have no privacy at all in the name of protecting them from the spread of such epidemics. Now, the thing is that the technology can be very effective. We now have the technology to monitor entire population and uh, discover, for example, the outbreak of a new disease when it's only just beginning and it's very easy to contain it and to follow all the, all, all the infected people and know exactly where they are and what they do. But this kind of surveillance system can then be used to monitor many other things, what people think, what people feel. And if we aren't careful, this epidemic can give justification for the accelerating development of totalitarian regimes. Yeah, it's really interesting. I was last night briefly reflecting on something I want to come back to in the days ahead or maybe even read about um, and, and, and write on Aki. If you take a very long view of, of history, particularly in countries in the West, that is a history towards more rather than less freedom. And mm. what we're seeing now is interestingly 
at a sociological level, as, as he rightly says there in that clip, when you have a tension between certain freedoms like privacy and movement and healthcare in the name of the latter, which is justifiable, as Judge Cato Regan said, because after all, you don't want people to die. You want your health resources to be also used effectively and efficiently because you don't have them in limitless supply. But but ironically enough, the kind of societies that existed 16th, 15th, 17th century and the march towards democratic freedoms, it will be really interesting to see whether those will be permanently reduced or whether we will all recognize this to have been a temporary reduction for the sake of biology. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I'm fascinated by the subject, and I have no doubt that you are going to be um, debating this extensively in the next few months. But uh, there are certainly going to be changes coming to mm. our civil liberties and mm. our privacy and all these kind of things. And and it's a difficult one, you know. If the government uses the thing, you know, the argument to say we're doing it for your health, how are you to argue about that? Would you want to be alive and know that you're healthy and prevent yourself from getting these viruses? Mm. Or would you rather take the chance? Absolutely. Very good question. What else have you got for us? Well, um, you know, it's been very fascinating to watch the Internet um, and, and people are saying, is the Internet coping? Will the Internet cope? And so far, the Internet is coping really well. In South Africa, we had a bit of an outage last week in some parts where the speeds were slowed down. That was because of one of our undersea cables that uh, was cut, uh, the West Africa cable system, which carries the majority of our traffic. But, you know, we've got the, resistant, the, the resilience and the ability to switch to other cables. So we switched over to uh for example the um the other cable on our east coast which uh which worked really seamlessly most people didn't feel it but the internet is coping really really well across the world but it's very interesting to see that people working from home um most organizations um that you know control the internet uh, you know across the globe are saying that they've seen a doubling of video conferencing for example in business terms uh, social media interaction has grown by 30% in some markets. So people are using the internet to its maximum, either to work or to socialize, um, to stay in touch with loved ones. I mean, I've just seen my patterns, for example, every call that I make to friends, whether they be abroad or local, is all done mostly via video conferencing. Mm. Um, and I think that this isolation has forced us and moved us into this so that we can actually physically see someone in front of us. It gives us um, a sense of comfort to be able to do that and to communicate as human beings. So I think that is another case that's going to be very interesting uh, to study once we finish with this. And the workplace, I can tell you now, the, the, the way we are working right now, like I am sitting at home talking to you and all of your guests from all over the world, mm. the way we, we do business is going to change dramatically after this as well. I think irre irreversibly so. By the way, did we answer the question of a listener that was worried last week about uh, something called Zoom bombing? Have you, do you know what that is? Ah. Well, yes, I'll tell you exactly what it is. So one of the, well, the, the market leaders, the software that people are using the most is a software called Zoom that does video conferencing. A lot of organizations are using it. And there have been some privacy concerns over the last few days that have been raised. The, the company itself is a Chinese company. And of course, whenever there's something like that, that's a Chinese company, we've been spied on, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> um, the, 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 there's a lot of question marks about it. In fact, the CEO did come up and acknowledge that, you know, they need to tighten up 
up on their security. But the, the Zoom bombing was other people joining a particular meeting or a conversation that you were having with a group of people uh, that weren't invited. So there were some um, security uh, – what should I use? Some some security lapses in the system that allow people to do this. They have tightened it subsequently, but it's it's a it's it's a piece of software that many companies are now recommending that it's not safe to use. Uh, we've seen the FBI put them under investigation. So it's going to be interesting to see whether it's 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 corporates trying to muscle in on the territory because these guys have got such a big market share at the moment. In fact, if you look at this company prior to COVID nineteen their share price has gone up by more than 70%. Um, and and they, they're a company that are wanted by big organizations that are looking at them, like the likes of Amazon, like Google, for example. And I wouldn't be surprised after this crisis is finished that one of these big organizations is going to buy this company for billions of dollars. It's going to make uh, WhatsApp's uh, acquisition look like pocket money after this COVID-19 crisis. Have a good day, Aki. You too, my friend. You too, my friend. And very quickly before I go, there's a very interesting COVID-19 uh, symptom tracking app that's been announced as well. If you want to just have a look at it as well, where people are actually tracking their symptoms. I mean, I was looking at Zuelanzima Vavi's video of, of how he was feeling during COVID-19 and I wish him well and a speedy recovery. But a sidebar, that, that what was your first reaction? Well, I thought he was in a. <laughs> I thought he was in a steam room, or you know, doing the. Are they in the shower or the steam room? Yeah, but um, but but when you speak to some people that have had this, and you look at how Boris Johnson looked um, with his video from the hospital. This thing really attacks you pretty hard. But um, whatever it might be, um, as well as Zima Vavi, we wish you a speedy recovery. But if you had downloaded the app, which is called COVID-19 Symptom Tracking App, it's, you, you just Google it and you'll find it. Hundreds of thousands of people are, are, are busy uh, uh, journaling what their symptoms are and what they're feeling through the app. And it's very interesting that in the last week, uh, 53% of these people had, had felt the most was fatigue and tiredness. 29% had persistent cough. 28% suffered from shortness of breath. 18% lost their sense of smell, uh, also known as anosmia or taste. And 10.5% of those people were suffering from some kind of fever. So those are the symptoms in the order of, of, of uh, priority, should I say, that people have, have registered to say, this is how I felt when mm. I had corona, which mm. was quite interesting, tracking the virus and seeing what kind of symptoms people are experiencing. Absolutely. We'll do it again next week. Thanks, Aki, as always. Cheerio, cheerio, Eusebius. Have a good day and give my love to that cute puppy of yours and I'm not <laughs> well talking do. about Duduza. <laughs>